I love this weather for the obvious reasons, but I love this weather in another reason, and that is because you can always tell when someone moved to Florida based on the like kind of winter gear that they have. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like somebody moved down here, like you know, the last few years they've got something kind of modern that they wear. They moved down here in the 90s. They've got some kind of like Pearl Jam flannel thing going. Uh, if you moved here in the 80s, you know, you've got like a members only jacket, um, which of which you'd be the last member, by the way. Um, and then if not, it'd be something from like Saturday Night Fever if you moved down here in the 70s or whatever. Um, but I will say this. Speaking of that, um, we had, uh, you know, it's Halloween last week and uh, my family. Um, we all did the, you know, well, not we all, but my, my kids went out and got candy because when I told when I first told my daughter that if she could, that on one day of the year, if she could knock on the next door neighbor, they'd give her candy. She didn't even believe me. She's like, no way. What is this knowledge that you speak of? You know, the thing is after we did Halloween this year, she's like, Bobby, let's do it again tomorrow. And I'm like, well, tomorrow we, someone might call the cops on us if we do try it. But, uh, but anyway, but it is nice. Um, I like Halloween except for the satanic part. But, um, other than that. I like the candy stuff, and I like saying hi to my neighbors because, you know, you don't get to see your neighbors all the time. So it is nice to say hi to them. And, um, but I will tell you this. I want to show you a couple pictures of uh, my kids. This is Xander, my son, who's 15 months old. This is him as um, Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. Uh, he has sworn to defeat the Emperor Zerg, my son. Uh, this is him. And then um, my, I have a daughter that's almost four, and uh, she went as Jessie uh, from Toy Story, which to which so... She, my son was Buzz. She was Jesse. She told me I had to get an uh, outfit of, you know, Woody, um, which I said, I don't think they make my size. And, um, and then she said, and then mommy can go as Bo Peep. I was interested in mommy as Bo Peep, but uh, for other reasons. Um, anyway, um, but then, you know, she came to church as uh, Sleeping Beauty. And everybody was like, how cute. Mia's going to go as Sleeping Beauty for Halloween. No, she just dresses up like a princess every day uh that just happened to be her day because she has a whole like little like this box this tinkerbell box full of princess and fairy outfits that she wears if she's not in her little school uniform she's wearing one of those uniforms um but here's the thing that's interesting um all these people came to our door for halloween and uh you know i mean you know the typical stuff batman superman mr incredible mickey mouse showed up i thought that was a cool outfit um, Darth Vader showed up. Lady Gaga made an appearance. So that was interesting. The weird part is it was a guy. And uh, that was a little bit odd. And um, there was a girl who showed up as a firefighter uh, to our door. Interestingly enough, she looked like she was a firefighter during the week and a stripper on the weekends, uh, based on how she was wearing her firefighter gear. Um, but here, now I tell you all of this to tell you this. This is the thing that I found so interesting. Everybody dressed up as like a superhero, but nobody dressed up as a sidekick. Now, here's what I mean. Like, there was a lot of people uh, dressed up as Batman. I didn't see one person dressed up as Robin. I saw uh, a couple of people dressed up as Fled, uh, Fred Flintstone. And when I mean a couple of kids, I mean, you know, 40-year-old men um, dressed up as Fred Flintstone. But nobody dressed up as Barney Rubble. Even one person showed up to our house dressed up as Super Mario. But not one Luigi, which I found very interesting. And, and here's the thing that this is really my, my point, which I found so fascinating after watching this kind of display of culture in uh, uh, last week. And that is from the time that we're kids, we want to be heroes. We don't want to be the sidekick. We want to be the hero, the center of the tension, the one who saves the day, because you never hear about Robin saving the day. You hear about Batman saving the day. And, uh, and what we tend to believe and this, 
Well, from what we understand as kids, as we grow up to adults, we tend to believe that it's the superstars that make the difference and not everybody else. And there's one idea that I want to share with you this morning, and I think it's one of the most important truths that we can learn. And if you've ever thought that God couldn't use you because you can't sing and you can't preach, listen, this message is for you and it's going to totally set you free. Um, if, if, you're, if you're a person and you say, well, I'm not in the who's who, I'm more in the who's he, um, in, in that, that category, then listen, this message is going to empower you to do great things for God. Um, if you've ever thought that uh, you're more significant when you climb up the corporate ladder that, and when you get to a certain level, that's when you really begin to make a difference and have a little bit more uh, significance. Listen, this truth is really going to rock you. And, and, um, and the thing is this, if you're in a place where you say, I can't make a difference with my one and only life, then here's the deal. Um, and you don't realize the impact that you can make, then I want you to listen to this one simple truth. And that is that you don't need a big name to make a big difference. You don't need a big name to make a big difference. You don't need a big name to make a big difference because throughout history, God has been using unsung heroes to change the world. He hasn't just been using the superstars. He hasn't just been using the people that everybody knows their name. Instead, he's been using regular people like you and like me to do amazing things throughout the world. You see, you don't have to ever step on a stage or take public office or write a bestseller to be used mightily of God. And the five people that we're going to look at, it's actually six people we're going to look at today in the book of Judges. Most of them, you've never heard their name. We don't really even know a lot about them, but here's what we know. They were heroic in the way that they served God, in the way that they made a difference. And we're going to see as we take kind of more of a panoramic view, um, instead of looking really, really in-depth, more of a panoramic view, here's what we're going to find is that you and I have the ability to make the same kind of impact that these guys made because it wasn't about the position. It was about the character. It wasn't about the role that they played so much as it was their connection to God and their desire to know him and grow in their relationship with him. Because as we look at these guys, five of them positive, one of them negative. But as we look at them over and over and over, we're going to see the same thing. It doesn't you don't have to have a big name to make a big difference. You don't need a big name to make a big difference. You don't need a big name to make a big difference. What you need are the three qualities that we're going to talk about in our time together. So I'm going to invite you to open to Judges chapter nine which is where we're going to begin. And here's where we're going to start. We're going to read the first six verses. Here's what it says. It says, Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, that is Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and all their family of the house and his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubel reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. And his mother's brother spoke to all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, for their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And so they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-barith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. And then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubel, on one stone. But Jotham... The youngest son of, Jer- of Jerubel was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar 
which was at Shechem. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's what I want you to understand as we begin going into this. Those of you that weren't here um, last time or ever, um, here's what I want you to know. We've been following these judges, and here's the thing. There's this guy by the name of Gideon who was this really um, great judge, and at the end of his life he kind of messed up a little bit. But he has this son named Abimelech, and the name of Abimelech means my father the king. And so even though he wasn't a king, he had these kind of desires of grandeur. But when Gideon dies... This guy Abimelech says, maybe I can become the king. And instead of coming up through the ranks, proving himself, showing himself to be a person of character, he decides to take a shortcut. And that shortcut is, I could actually kill all of my brothers, I'd be the only one left, and then I could be king, which is what we just read that he did. And the thing is, is that's the very same thing that can happen. We can decide that instead of building our own character, we can begin to cut down other people. And we can cut them down, we can wipe them out, we can talk trash about them, and here's what will take place. Is that what we can do is, we can actually try to then create ourselves as really how great we are. But that's actually the exact opposite of how God builds character in the life of a person. It's the exact opposite of the kind of person that God uses to do great things in this world. It's the exact opposite of, what, of the kind of person that God does great things in that person's life. So what's the first characteristics that we, that we need to note of these heroic type of personalities? The very opposite of Abimelech, and that is this, that heroes model sincere humility. They model sincere humility. Um, and, and honestly, all of us kind of go one way or the other with humility. We either go to the point of like extreme, what we think is humility, which is really kind of a form of pride, or we go to the other side, which is just full-blown pride, thinking we're the greatest. Um, and and uh, let me explain it this way. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had been asked to speak at this, but a couple of weeks ago I went to speak to um, a group of Southern Baptist preachers and pastors, and so I was asked to go, and uh, they had a, it was a kind of a pastor's meeting, and so I went and spoke, and it was like a five-hour thing and it was i guess they know i go long because they said uh, we'll give you five hours to talk that should be enough time for you to preach one message um and so uh, it was great I, I thought it was excellent and uh not the talk the amount of time they gave me and um but it was great i had five hours talked about leadership preaching all kinds of stuff that happened in preacher world and um and and the, honestly uh, and i'm telling you this they thought it was awesome and uh, they loved it and uh, they thought that I was the greatest. They thought uh, that Calvary was like the best church on the planet, to which they'd be right. And um, and uh, so I get home. You know, I'm, I'm driving. It was towards the. End, it was like an all day thing. So I get done, and um, and so I'm, I go back to the office for a little bit. Then I drive home, and uh, I feel great, man. I felt like God had used me mightily that day to invest in a group of pastors and. Uh, Carrie asked me how it went. I tell her all about it, and everybody was hanging on every word, and I was at the top of my game, and, and uh, plus they treated me like a VIP the whole time I was there, which was even better. And then, you know, she listens for a minute, and then she says, hey, before I forget, could you take out the garbage? And I'm like, excuse me? Didn't I just tell you I was a VIP? I just, let me just tell you about the, the, the eternal truths I was sharing. And then I, so I start talking, and she says, oh, by the way, it's recycle day, too. Can you take out the recycles too, recyclables, too? And I'm like, woman, don't you hear that? I'm, I'm, these are holy hands. So I kind of start going on to this whole thing. And, um, and anyway, so needless to say, I, I win. Uh, I don't win. I got the phone. And, um, and uh, I, I'm taking out the garbage, and I'm thinking, like, I'm still a VIP. I'm still a VIP. You know, I'm taking out the garbage. And, uh, but I'm just taking out the garbage. And most of us kind of live somewhere between taking out the garbage and VIP. Some, we live somewhere in the middle of that. 
And here's the thing that, that, that happens. This is the thing that, that's really the point. Is that God cannot use us if we go through life thinking that we're, you know, Mr. VIP. God cannot use us because here's the reason why. We will begin to think that so many things are just beneath us. Well, I don't want to do that because that's, you know, don't they know who I am? And then what will happen is, 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 is this. That's one of the reasons why humility is so important. But humility is something that gets absolutely no respect in our culture because it's seen as a sign of weakness when really it's a sign of strength. Uh, what is humility? Let me give you my definition of humility. It's knowing who I am in light of who God is. Very simple. It's knowing who I am in light of who God is. That means I don't think more of myself than I should. I don't think less of myself than I should. Because I've learned that both extremes are wrong. If I um, think more of myself than I should, here's what happens. I'm, I'm filled with pride. God can't use me. Instead, if I think less of myself than I should, it leads to self-loathing and thinking, well, God would never use someone like me. And I start now thinking less of what God can actually do because I think it has something to do with my performance. Uh, and, and here's the thing, is that what, what I'm convinced of is that when we have a, a, a proper view of ourselves, not that we think we're the greatest or we think that we're the worst, but we have a sober view of who we are, God is able to use us in a mighty way. And here's the thing, Abimelech is a guy that says, I want to be king. Desiring leadership is not a bad thing. But when you desire leadership at the expense of wiping out everyone else, that's the problem. It's not that I want to build my character and people would see me and say, we want this guy to lead us. No, it's saying everybody else is wrong. Everybody else um, doesn't have it together. And I'm going to wipe them out so that I'm the only option that's left. And here's the deal. God can't bless that because God can't bless pride. The Bible tells us this. It's in the notes that we gave you. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace or favor to the humble. Now, here's the test. The test is, are you more, con- and this is the test of pride or humility. Are you more concerned with being right or getting things done? Here's what I mean. If you're having a disagreement with your spouse and they start making a point, I remember this when I was first married. That my wife and I had a conflict, and she made a point, and I made a point, she made a point, and I made a point. We're having this conflict, and at some point, guys, you don't have to admit this because whatever. Um, But I remember that we're having this conflict, and I realized she's right. But I'm not going to stop because I want to be right. And even though she's right, I don't want to look dumb. And uh, even though I was looking extremely dumb at the moment. And, uh, And here's the thing that happens is that we do that, and we say, well, do you want to be right? You know what was a really freeing truth for me? Is when I realized that my wife and I were not at odds, we were on the same team. So when one of us is right, we're both right. If, 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 I, decide, if, if I decide to do, you know, and that's the thing that's really important. The issue is, with humility, listen, I don't care which of us is right. I just want to resolve the conflict. If you start with that, you're going to see how much better things get. Um, do you do this? This is another, another test of, of humility or pride. Do you act like you know everything? Or are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to admit you don't know it all? I'm amazed at the kind of stuff that we, that as, and guys, we do this. I, I don't know how girls do this because I've lived my whole life as a guy. But, um, and, uh, but here's the thing. It, 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 is that because for guys, it's so hard for us to admit we don't know how to do this. Like, I will destroy something in my house trying to fix it before I come to the conclusion, like, maybe I don't know how to do this. You know, um, and, and this is the thing that happens because by nature, from the time that we're kids, we just have this thing that we want to do it ourselves, and that we don't need anybody's help. 
Um, my daughter, who's almost four, um, has, you know, if she needs help with something, I'll say, you know, honey, do you need, mama, you need some help with this? And she goes, no, I want to do this all by myself. And that's how she says it. She goes, all by myself. And this is uh, when she was a little younger. So my daughter now knows how to um, unbuckle the seatbelt in the car. So we're driving in Carrie's car, and we'll get somewhere, and she can unbuckle the, the, the seatbelt, and then I'll, I'll help her down. Well, in my car, and I take her to school in the morning, um, she'll, get, she'll get in the car, I'll buckle her in, and then she'll get there. And I remember the first day of school um, that we get into the parking lot of the school, and, uh, and she says, okay, uh, Mia, do you want me to unbuckle the seatbelt? No, no, no. All by myself. I'm like, all right. Knock yourself out. And there we go, like five minutes, just trying to take that thing off because the, on her mom's car, the, the clip, the, the little button that you push is on the outside. On the, my car, it's on the inside. I don't know why they did it like that, but it's a little bit difficult to do, especially if you're in a little booster chair. Uh, and so she's like, and we're just going after and, she, and then she says to me, she says, I'm like, Mia, do you want some help? She says, no. And then a minute later, she goes, Papi, I'm trapped. <laughs> you're trapped. Mia, you're not a prisoner. This isn't a jail. Uh, this is a family. And so, and so she said, so anyway, I help her. Now she's okay with me helping her do that. And then there's other things that she doesn't. But here's the point. The thing is, is too often we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives because we just don't ask for help. And so we just keep banging our heads against the wall and, and, and our lives begin to stall out. And the question that I believe we need to ask ourselves is if we're in a place where like our lives are stalled, we're not going forward where we really want to go is, listen, could it be, could it be? I'm not saying it is. I'm asking, could it be that we haven't totally surrendered to God? Could it be that we started down a road much like Abimelech? I want this and I don't care who I have to run over and what I have to do to get what it is that I want. And now we're getting there and we're stuck because we haven't actually gotten to where we want to go. And, and, and now we're saying, God, will you please bless this mess that I'm in? And my friends, that's not the way that it works. He doesn't bless um, that mess. Here's what the Bible says. It's in your notes in Proverbs 18. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If only Abimelech knew that, that that, uh, humility comes before honor. Well, look at what happens. I put it in your notes. It's a long chapter. I'm going to give you the highlights. Here's what happens at the end of Abimelech's short term as uh, king. Here's what it says. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city, had fled. They had locked themselves and climbed up in the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it, but as he approached the entrance of the tower, he set it on fire, or to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through, that is, stabbed him, and he died. Then the Israelites saw Abimelech was dead and they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech for what he had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. You see, God can't really use us if all we're concerned about is being the star and being the center of attention. You know what God's looking for? And what God is, why he creates circumstances and situations in our lives. Here's what he's trying to build in your life and in mine. Humility. Because God's goal is for us to look like Jesus. And one of the main character traits of Jesus is humility. I put it in your notes in Ephesians chapter 2. This is a passage worthy of memorization. But it says this. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in, in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Yet he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and every tongue should confess on earth and those under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the point, and this is the amazing contrast in the story that we read of Abimelech. We have a false king trying to have everything with pride, and he ends up with nothing. And in the story of Jesus, we have a true king who humbles himself, and in the end, God gives him everything. You see, when you humble yourself, you invite God to act on your behalf. When you fill yourself with pride, here's the deal. You're on your own because God opposes proud people. The question that it forces us to answer, the the question humility forces us to answer is this. Are you happy with who God created you to be? Because if you aren't happy with who God created you to be, that's why we fill ourselves with pride and we puff ourselves up with pride and we try to make ourselves more than we actually are because the root of it is, I don't believe that people will love me or accept me if they knew who I really was. And so I try to create something else, this other image, this other person, because I believe that that's who they will really accept. The greatest thing you can do in your life, the greatest thing you can do in your life, is realize that you don't need a big name to make a big difference. You don't need a big name to be loved by people. You don't need a big name to, 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 um, to be accepted by people. You don't need a big name to make a big difference in the lives of other people. Here's what you have to do. You have to be yourself. You have to be who God created you to be and accept that and embrace it and continually cultivate humility in your life, which makes you look more and more like the person of Jesus. And when you do, listen, that's the beginnings of a person in a life that's great. Well, I want to do something with you. I want you to turn the page, if you would, in your Bibles to uh, Judges chapter 10, because I want to introduce you to two other guys, two great men that we don't know much about. But here's what we, what we do know about them. I'm going to read to you. It says this, after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, whatever kind of name that is, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years and he died and was buried in Shamir. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now we had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys who also have 30 towns, which are called Havoth-Jair, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cammon. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to share with you. And that is that heroes model faithful service. They model faithful service. When I first started serving at church, I was a young Christian. And um, I started feeling like maybe I could teach. Um, they didn't let me teach. Instead, what they did was, and I thought I was a musician, and I thought maybe I could lead worship, and they didn't let me do that either. Instead, here's what they did. They said, you want to do that? That's good. Here's what we need. We need somebody to show up at church on Sunday at 6.30 in the morning um, to set up chairs and make coffee. And I thought, you know, don't you realize the kind of skills I'm bringing to the table? And no, I didn't say that. Um, I just said, okay. And uh, because, listen, they thought I might have skills to teach, but here's what they did. They said, um, how about this? 
How about we build your character a little bit before we put you in front of anybody um, to, to, to teach or sing or anything? So they found the most menial job they could give me. And uh, I'd get there at 6.30 in the morning, and this is what I would do. I'd get there at 6.30, and then um, I would put these giant coffee makers to, to, that made 100 cups of coffee each. To this day, I don't know how to make coffee for less than 100 people. It's a true story. When we were first married, someone gave us a coffee maker. We still have the same coffee maker, you know, almost 14 years later. And uh, Carrie said, hey, could you put some coffee on? And I said, I don't know how. And she's like, well, what do you mean? You just put, and I'm like, I know the whole how it works, but I only know how to make coffee for 100 people because that's what I did every week. So I, and she's like, can't you just do the math, like divide the math instead of making it for 100, make it like for one or two. And I'm like, that's not the way it works. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, um, so, so, any, so I'd get there and I would make these two giant cylinder deals with, for 100 uh, cups of coffee each. And then um, I would, they'd have me set up the fruit. They'd have all this fruit. I'd have to slice the bagels. And then they would have me, um, like, take the, each grape off of the grapevine to make it easier for people to just, you know, grab some grapes. So I would do that. I'd cut all this fruit up. And then they'd have cheese there. And then the guys who were there would, would make jokes like, look, Bob's cutting the cheese. And um, <laughs> they'd make all these jokes like that. And they did it because they loved me. Or at least that's what they said. And... Um, and so, and here's the thing is that, and this went on for a long time, long before they let me teach, they let me cut cheese and fruit and make coffee uh, at, on there because here's what they were looking for. This is what, then this is, and now I understand it's easy to be faithful when you're the teacher. It's easy to be faithful when you're on the stage and the lights are on you, but will you be faithful when nobody knows? Because here's the thing. This is what I learned is that I would get there at 630. People started showing up at eight o'clock. When, by the time they got there, I was done. So nobody actually saw me serve. So I'd get there and I'd be like, you know, drinking like some orange juice. And they'd be like, dude, can you do something? And I'd be like, but I did. You know, but see, nobody actually saw that service because it was all when, when, you know, it was all done by the time everybody got there. And what they were looking for is saying, if you can serve like that, you can serve doing pretty much anything. We're not told much about this guy named Tola. Here's what we're told is this. He arose to save Israel. Isn't that an amazing idea? That this guy, that there was a need, that he arose to save Israel and he was a judge for 23 years. We aren't given a timetable for most of the judges, so the length of of this guy's service must be significant. What we're told is this person was a judge and the land had peace for this long. But with these guys, we're told they were a judge for this long. So that when there was a time of hostility, there was a problem, there was a guy that nobody knew, a man of character, a man of humility, a man of faithful service named Tola, and he arose and saved Israel, saved Israel when it needed saving. This guy named Jair that we meet, he judges Israel in, in a faithful way, in the same way, but he's judging Israel in, in an amazing thing. He's judging Israel in a very hostile area. Uh, let me show you this map. Um, now, those of you that are all the way in the back, this is a map. Uh, you're going to be able to see much. But this is a map. Now, here's the thing you're going to find. Now, it says that he's, he's um, a judge in an area called Gilead. Now, Gilead is right here, um, which is, there's these mountains, what are called the mountains of Gilead. And so that's why this whole region is called Gilead. Now, the thing that you want to note is that this area of Gilead, right next to it, is this area called Ammon. Ammon is uh, this country of where the Ammonites obviously live. The Ammonites, throughout the Bible, are trying to oppress Israel. In fact, when Jair dies, the first thing that they do is oppress Israel. 
But when Jair is alive, they would never even dream of oppressing Israel because there's one man standing between them and the people that he's serving, and that is this man Jair. Why is that? How is that? It's in your notes. The Bible says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Amazing. We don't know much about this guy Jair, but here's what we know, is that he served faithfully, and during his reign on his watch, Israel had peace. Now here's the question. The question is, are you faithfully serving? Lots of people talk about serving. Some people sign up to serve and then don't follow through. Some people serve, but they're inconsistent. And then there's another group of people. There's a group of people that faithfully serve. And you know that group of people that faithfully serve? They experience amazing things in their life. They experience what happens in the life of another person when you invest in them. They experience the blessing of being used by God. Because here's the thing that sometimes we don't realize. When we serve, or when we don't serve, and we say, I'm going to get involved and serve, here's what we think. I'm going to serve, and somebody else is going to be blessed. But you know what the truth is? When we serve someone else, we're the one that's blessed to an even greater degree. Isn't that amazing? And yet it's the truth. You see, here's, here's the truth. This is, this is like one of my life verses. Um, it's in the book of Acts, in your notes. In the book of Acts, uh, chapter 13, verse 36, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. Listen, God's not asking you to do something that it's like that last 500 years or something. Here's what God wants you to do. Very simple. He says this, Will you serve God in your generation? And then step into eternity. Oh, but is he, uh, you know, this, no, here's what he's asking you to do. Will you serve God in your generation? And then... Pass it on to another generation of people. We put this in, uh, in your notes. You'll see this little scale. You see it in the beginning where we talk about zero being pride, ten being humility. That's where we want to be. And the second point, you'll see that it's zero is not serving, ten is serving faithfully. Where are you? Because the goal for us is to get to ten where we're serving faithfully. And so the issue is, what does it take if we're in zero when we've got to take a step? If we're at five, we've got to take a step. If we're at seven, we've got to take a step. Because the goal is for us to be faithful in our service. Because if we want to be heroic, if we want to make a difference in somebody else's life, it's going to take faithfulness. It's going to take humility to see that take place. Because here's what God says, what Jesus said in this parable that he told. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many things. Lots of us want to be rulers over many things, but here's what it takes. You've got to be faithful with a few things. You be faithful with a few things. You start serving here, and here's what we tell you, here's what we encourage you to do. Well, maybe your, your shift is at once every other week. You serve. And you know what you do? You be faithful once every other week. And you know what will happen? Your responsibility will grow. And by the way, not just responsibility here. Because the things that you do in secret, the Bible says God will reward you openly. And that's the amazing thing about serving God, our God who transcends space and time. Is that what you do here in faithfulness will start popping up in your career. It'll start popping up in your family. It'll start popping up in your relationships. All these things. Why? Because you did something and you did it faithfully. On the back of your connection card, you can sign up to get involved in service. And listen, don't let it be, I just want to check the box. Now God's going to do something. No, no, no. Check the box and follow through and be faithful. And you're going to see God begin to do something amazing in your life. Because when you're faithful with a few things, that's when God makes you ruler over much. Let me introduce you to 
three more guys. This is where we're going to bring it home. Uh, turn the page, if you would, to chapter 12. We're going to see a guy, meet a guy next week by the name of Jephthah. I'm bypassing his story because his story is quite involved, and we're going to look at it next time. But I'm going to have you look at uh, chapter 12 and verse 8. It says, After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and gave away 30, da- uh, 30 daughters in marriage and brought 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried in Ahijalon in the country of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrethonite, uh, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. And then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrethonite, died and was buried in Pyrethon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. So if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to share with you, is that heroes model a godly example. A godly example. You know, it's amazing. Think about this guy named, named Ibzan that we read. We don't know anything about him. But here's the one characteristic of his life that people say, this is what stood out. This is what they say. They said he had 30 sons. And he actually gave away 30 daughters in marriage. And for his 30 sons, he actually brought in 30 daughters to be married to them. Because there was three things that every Jewish father was responsible for. Every Jewish father was responsible to teach his kids the Torah, to teach his kids a trade, and to provide, find a wife, a wife for his sons. And Ibzan did all of this. And it's not surprising that his, fa- his name, the name Ibzan, means father of a target. Not father of a Walmart, father of a target. Right? And, um, and here's the thing. Now, now think about what, that, what a dad should do, and it makes total sense that... What a dad does is he gives his kids, uh, uh, he gives his kids a vision, a target. What, what are you going for? What are you seeking? What are you supposed to look like as a man? And, and he gives them a target. He gives them a vision as to what they're supposed to be. They model what God is like, what God's love is like, what God, that God cares for them. Listen, I, I've said this before, and you will hear me, if you hang out here, um, and you're part of this church, you'll hear me say it many, many more times. And that is this. Dads, The way your kids, especially your daughters, relate to God is because of you. It's just the way it is. You know, um, if you grew up without a dad, um, you know what kids who grew up without a dad struggle with? Here's what they struggle with. They struggle with knowing that God is really there for them. Because their dad wasn't there for them, and here's what they're thinking. Will God sell me out at the moment that I need him most? And they struggle with that. They struggle with trusting God because, um, and, and, and if, is what I'm doing for God really good enough? Do you know, can I just tell you something? It's not about being good enough. What we do is never good enough. But here's the deal. It's not about our performance. It's about God's performance. But see, when, you're, when you're grow, you grow up and you never had someone explain the gospel to you, and you've had, you've had a whole lifetime of habits and ideas that have formed. It takes years now for that stuff to begin to, to, be, to melt away and be reshaped and, and, and remolded. That the reality is, is that the Bible says this in the book of Romans chapter 5, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved us, died for us, and did the, the most amazing act of love, giving his life for us, not when we were reading the Bible, worshiping, praying, and taking notes in our outlines. 
when we were sinning and running in the other direction from him, that's when he did the most amazing act of love that a person could give. But dads, here's the deal. There's stuff you have to teach your kids. There's stuff we have to teach our kids. What do you teach your boys? You teach your boys to love Jesus. You teach your boys to read the Bible. You teach your boys to walk with integrity. You teach your boys... You want to talk practically? Here's what you teach. Here's what a father passes down to his son. You want to know a real practical one? Here's what it is. How to tie a tie. I had a kid in my office one time. This is probably two years ago. And he was going somewhere and he needed to tie a tie. And he didn't know how to tie a tie. And I took him into my office and I showed him how to tie... Uh, like a tie, which, by the way, the right way is a full Windsor knot. Um, just, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but I showed him how to tie a tie in a full Windsor knot. I was almost in tears by the time the thing was over. Because I just know there, there's this, like this, this rite of passage, and I just kept thinking, like, where's this kid's dad? There's a dad that's supposed to show him this, and he's not there. He's missing it. And then at some point in time, this dad is going to want to share something of value with him, and here's what he's going to say, where were you? But you weren't there to show me something so basic, something that shows me that I'm a man to tie a tie the right way. You see, a dad shows his kid how to tie a tie. He shows his boy how to throw a baseball the right way. He shows his son how to change a tire, how to respect a woman, how to have a good work ethic, how to handle money in a godly way. You know what kids know how to do? When they don't have a dad, they know how to play video games and download porn. That's it. And it's tragedy. That's why, guys, listen, the, 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 the thing about a dad is that it's an active role, not a passive one. And these things that we're talking about don't happen by themselves. They happen when we take an intentional role with our kids. Not a passive one, an intentional one. What do dads need to teach their daughters? Oh, several things. How about this? How to conduct themselves on a date. See, a lot of girls go on a first date with a boy and they don't know how to conduct themselves. Why? Nobody ever taught them and all they have is culture teaching them how they're supposed to conduct themselves on a date. Guess what? You know how you teach a, teach a, a young girl how to conduct herself on a date? You take her out on a date. And she learns how to conduct herself on a date. I've been taking my daughter out on dates since she was nine months old. And we just go out, her and I. And we'll go out, her, her and me, and we'll go places, and she can go wherever she wants. And, um, and it's just time her and I have together. And me and I will go, and we'll say, where do you want to go? And usually it's Chick-fil-A in a bookstore. I don't know where she gets that idea from, but either way, she wants to go to Chick-fil-A in, a bookstore, in the bookstore. And, and, and here's, that's the thing. I mean, here, here's the, listen, you, dads, here's what you do. You buy your daughter's flowers. You know why? Because I absolutely refuse to let some punk teenage kid be the first person to buy my daughter flowers. That is so unacceptable to me. Instead, And then she's like, oh, I can't believe it. He's such a good boy because he bought me these flowers. No, he stopped and bought a pack of, he bought a $5 flowers and some mamoncillo on his way to see you. That's what he did. But, but she starts to think something else. And so here's the deal. You, 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 buy them, you buy your daughter's flowers. Why? So that they realize that they're beautiful, that they're, wor- that they're worthy of value and worthy of being pursued. Dads, we teach our daughters to love Jesus and to love the Scriptures. My goal for both of my kids is to, is to train them to be theologians and Bible scholars. That's my goal. We talk about the Bible at our house all the time. 
We talk about it. We, 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 we discuss it. I'm, I'm teaching her. We're talking about Bible stories and all this. Why? Because I'm training her at a young age to become a Bible scholar, not just to know these stories, but to understand the nuance of these stories. And as my son grows, my prayer is that I would do the same for him. And listen, moms play a huge role in this as well. But dads, we set the example. You know why? Because we are the priest in our home. We're the spiritual leader in our home. And if we don't do it, you can't delegate that out. You can't send that to somebody else for them to do. Um, I, let me, I just want to share this one verse with you. It's, it's so basic. It's so basic. And you're going to say like that? You got that? Listen, this is like one of these verses that means so much to me. It's the last verse in your outline in um, Genesis chapter uh, 7. It's up on the screen. Here's what it is. It's on the, in your notes too. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his sons, entered the ark. You say, I, I don't see it. Here's, here's what it is. I just want you to notice this. Noah went first. That's all I want you to see. Because Noah entered the ark and then his family followed. He didn't ask his family to do something that he himself was not willing to do. Instead, he decided to go first. You know why? Because that's what being a man of God demands. That's what being a godly father demands, that you set the example for your family. He never asked his family to do something that he himself was not willing to do. Instead, he modeled for his family what it means to be saved. He modeled for his family what it means to walk with God. That's what Noah did. That's what his men did. This judge, and it's what you and I must do. And here's where, it, here's where it comes down for us. Because we've been saying that it, you don't need a big name to make a big difference. You don't. You really don't. Because some of us are in behind-the-scenes roles, and we're not on the stage, and we don't have the lights on us, and everybody doesn't know our name, but, here, but here's the thing. Listen, and we wonder if we're making a difference. Can I just tell you something? You are. Maybe you're here and you're a mom and you've chosen, you, you and your husband have chosen for you to stay home and, and, and raise your kids. Can I just tell you this? That there is a monotony in what you do. Um, there, there, and there's a misconception in what you do because culture values people by how much money they make or how much money they can make. And you've chosen not to earn any money and instead to stay home and invest your life in these little kids and in raising them to teach them the most basic of skills and also the most profound of truths. And we say, and can I just tell you this? Listen, culture doesn't have it right in anything. Why would we think they have it right in understanding the worth and value of a mom? They don't get it. But here's the deal. And and sometimes we say, you know, because here's what we do. This is, we say this in culture. Oh, you just stay home. Oh, you're just a mom. Oh, what a misconception. Listen, you haven't lived until you've tried to potty train another human. You just haven't. You just really haven't. I'm telling you that I I have the privilege of doing a lot. I have the privilege of speaking to you. I have the privilege of speaking to a lot of groups and and, and writing books and doing a lot of things that I I have no idea how I get to do this, um, honestly. And here's the thing, and that I watched my wife potty train my daughter, and I thought, that is incredible. I can't, I mean, that, that is worth more than a thousand messages that you can give or speaking in front of thousands of people with this basic skill that she just trained her to do and the profound truths that my wife has instilled uh, in, in, in my daughter. And I'm telling you that culture doesn't get it. 
Because you're making, listen, moms, you're making an investment in your kids when you're there and you say it's day after day after day and you say, I'm just, I'm going crazy with you. I get it. I get it. Carrie, my wife went out the other day and I was with the kids for like five hours. It literally felt like five years. And I thought, when will this woman ever get home? And sometimes I'm with them all day and, uh, and I'm so exhausted because they just don't stop. And I, 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 I say to myself, I need to go back to the office because I need a break. And it's like, because, and, and I think like this, and my wife does this and she does it like with, with she does it with grace. And it's like, you know, I'm like laying on the floor. They've like put a flag on top of me. Like we've conquered him. Let's move on. And, uh, and, and, and she does it and she can do all of this and make dinner at the same time, you know, and, 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 and do a million other things. And, and, and it's incredible to me. It's incredible to me. Um, but here's why I say that. Because the people that have made the biggest impact in your life are not the people that are famous. They're people, just regular people, unsung heroes, that came into your life and invested in your life and changed your life through God's grace. And you never even, maybe even realized it. Um, it's the teacher that took an interest in you. It's the mentor that took time to develop you. It's the leader who believed in you and gave you a chance. Um, this week, um, two high school girls came into my office and wanted to give me a gift. Um, and they had, they had given me a gift and a card. And um, it was for Pastors Appreciation. I don't know if you know this, but um, October is Pastors Appreciation Month. And uh, I know many of you know that because I was pretty, it was pretty light on the gifts this year. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, kind of. Uh, but anyway, it's all right. Christmas is coming up. You, you make it up. Uh, <laughs> but ser- no, seriously. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, th- they came in because they wanted, they found out it's Pastors Appreciation Month. And so they wanted to give me something for Pastors Appreciation Month. And so they, they brought me this, um, this, this gift and, uh, and they, they both wrote me a card and, um, and I thanked them and I left and I opened the card when they left. And I'm glad I opened the card when they left because I was moved to tears when I read it. Um, because I was so, because what they did was, is they didn't just say like, oh, thanks for teaching me so much. They actually wrote exactly what I've taught them. They said, you've taught me this and you've taught me this and you've taught me this. And I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, I was blown away. It, it is hands down in my life the nicest card anyone has ever gotten for me. Family member, whatever. And nicest card ever and that anyone has ever um, given to me. Two girls that I don't know very well. They come in and say, you've made a difference in my life and I wanted to tell you that. Now here's my point. Um, is that you and I can make a difference in somebody else's life if we choose to. And here's the thing, I, 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 you know, sometimes we, um, we close and it's like a very, you know, there's all the next steps on the back of the car, or the connection card and all that. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, I, I want to invite you to do three things today that, um, that, that I, I believe, if, if you want to make a difference in somebody else's life or somebody else has made a difference in your life, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. One, if, if, if when I said there's someone who made a difference in your life, and you immediately think thought of that person. Would you write them a card this week? Write them a note this week and tell them that. And I, and I don't mean like send them an email or like post something on their wall on Facebook. I'm not talking about that. You know, that takes five seconds and it's usually not well thought out. But here's what you do. I mean, actually get a pen. I'm sure you have one in your house somewhere. And uh, 
I know they don't get used very much anymore. Um, but you get a pen and you get a note, a, a note or a card or a piece of paper um, or the back of a napkin, something, and you just write on, you just talk to them about the difference that this person has made in, in your life. And let me tell you something. This is something they will never forget when they read it and, and, and receive it because most people, you invest in them and they don't ever come back to say thank you and the difference that you've made in their life. But when you come back and say, I just want to tell you the huge difference that you've made, it will mean everything to the person to which you, you've wrote, written that to. The second thing I want to ask you to do is, if, you, if someone has invested in your life, would you commit to making that kind of investment in someone else's life? You say, well, I had this person and they, just, they gave me a chance. Well, would you give somebody else a chance? If there's somebody who say, well, you know, they just took extra time with me, would there be someone that you could take extra time with? Um, and then here's the third one. If, G- if you're here and you're a Christian and Jesus has changed your life, would you commit yourself to getting involved so that other people can experience the power of the gospel in the same way that you've experienced the power of the gospel? My point is this. You don't have to stand on the sidelines of life wondering, I wish I could be used by God in some amazing way, but think that you can't because you're not a big name. You don't need a big name to make a big difference. Because as you think about it, there's people whose lives you've impacted and you may not even have realized it. And there's people whose lives are waiting to be impacted if you would just take a step and get involved. Because we live in a world that is in such need of heroes, not in need of famous people but in need of real heroes who have these qualities and characteristics, the godly character, the real humility, all of these things together that make a huge difference. And I believe God is calling each of us to be one of those people. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you for those truths. We thank you that you've modeled for us what humility is. You've modeled for us what a godly example is. And now you've called us to walk in that way. You've caused us to reflect who you are through our actions and our attitudes and our words, our speech. God, may you do what only you can do. God, this world is going to be different when your church acts different and acts like you and takes a step and cares. God, may this be the moment that starts a movement of people who do just that. In Jesus' name, amen.